Well, good morning. Welcome to the cathedral. We're glad that you've joined us this morning. You're with us today on Missions Sunday. Missions Sunday. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Well, those are Jesus Christ's marching orders for the church globally. And of course, every local church is involved in obeying those marching orders at a local level. We are no different. But Holy Cross isn't just a local church. We, like all true local fellowships, are part of the one holy Catholic, or we call that universal church. And we are part of carrying out Jesus' command throughout all the world. Now, in recent days, we have been talking a little here about tithing, giving your first 10% to the Lord. Ever since Holy Cross was founded as an institution, we've committed ourselves to do that very thing. We take 10% of every single dollar that comes in and we use it for ministry outside our own doors. When you tithe to Holy Cross, you're not only giving to the Lord, you're also giving to the work here and to the work around the world. So this morning we thought we'd do something fun. Rather than having a sermon, we thought this morning we'd give you an opportunity to meet some of the folks that we're helping to support around the world who are carrying out God's great commission throughout the world. So this morning I'd like to start by introducing you to a new friend. This is Reverend, come on up here, Reverend Horace Tipton. Now this is kind of unusual because his day job is actually being a minister. And he is the pastor at Trinity in the Fields uh, Church in Marion, Arkansas, which is one of our ACNA churches. But his other job is as a missionary, an agricultural ministry missionary throughout the world. A great story, exciting to find out what's happened in his life. So welcome, Horace. And I guess we're going to start with video. The mission of Planting Faith Ministries is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to subsistence farmers in Africa by working to elevate them from subsistence to sustainability. Now, one question I'm often, often posed with when I, when I talk to folks is, what in the world does the clown in the collar know about farming? And that's a good question. But I was a farmer uh, on our family farm uh, for 13 years in West Tennessee. And I also worked in agribusiness for another uh, three or four years after that before going into the mission field. So I have uh, uh, walked a few turn rows in my life and I, and I do know my way around the farm. And in fact, it was on the farm and because of the farm that led me to the mission field. I was, it was about the year 2000 and I was uh, sitting in my office one day and I was, I was farming a pretty fair amount of ground. I really was. I was, I was doing okay and uh, I was feeling a little self-satisfied and well, we all know that that's not a good place to be with the Lord. Um, 
And so anyhow, I was, I was farming a fair amount of ground, and uh, I was also running a small public relations agency. And my clients in public relations were all agricultural based, because ag is really what I know. Uh, but I did have a PR background, and my clients were in the seed business, and the chemical business, the uh, equipment business, that sort of thing. But it occurred to me one day uh, that several of my biggest clients were wonderful Christian businessmen. And I realized that day how blessed I was because I was being discipled through my business. I was growing in my faith because of my work in agriculture and public relations. And I realized what a blessing that was and how rare that truly is. And it occurred to me on that day that between the faith that we had with this small group of us and the agricultural knowledge, I thought, ah, you know, we could start an agricultural mission. And I was the PR guy and I was paid to be creative and the wheels started turning. I come to later realize it wasn't my wheels turning but the wheels of the Holy Spirit. But that's a, it's another story. Anyhow, it was the Holy Spirit turning and anyhow, I said, you know, we could start an agricultural mission. We could start an agricultural mission in Africa. In Africa through the church. We could be like an extension service through the church in Africa. And then I thought, Horace, you've come up with some bad ideas in your life, but this one takes the cake. So I put this thought on the shelf and wouldn't go there. I said, that is insane. Don't even think about it. Here you are, you're doing well for yourself. You're 35 years old and you're doing well. Just, just do, do what you need to do. But after that, the idea of a call kept coming back to me. I realized there was a hole in my heart. God put on my heart that day. Uh, I had a hole in my heart that something was severely missing. I wasn't serving his people like he wanted me to. So I thought, ah, you know what I'll do? I'll go to seminary. That's what I'll do. I'll go to seminary and I'll be ordained. And that was back in the days uh, when we were with uh, uh, the old Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. And anyhow, I went through this entire discernment process with, with, that, with the diocese and, and the bishop there and everything. But needless to say, the bishop and I did not see eye to eye on much of anything. And I probably was not going to be ordained, at least not, not through him. I uh, made it pretty clear. However, he did, left a small uh, uh, opening in the door that I could just keep my foot in so that to give me a little bit of hope, and I, and I wasn't going to let it go. But anyhow, you see, I couldn't let it go, not, not, not for myself anyway. Anyhow, I was distraught because this, this discernment process went on for about a year, and I was really and truly making preparations. I had all kind of grand plans for what, what, what I was going to do. I was going to you know, I could see myself being a small town uh, parish priest, you know, in, in the rural area. And I, I could even see the picket fence around my house. And if you want to test God's sense of humor, you need to tell him your plans. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. Um, anyhow, um, I went to my priest. I was distraught because I, I more or less had been said it's not going to happen here. And I went to my priest, and I said to him, you know, I know I'm called, I just don't know where. And he said to me, do you ever look at your dreams? 
when you're trying to discern a call. And I, I don't think I said it out loud, but I know I was thinking it. And it's like he could tell what I was thinking. I thought, now that's kind of peculiar. And he said, you know, Jacob did it. And Joseph did it. And Daniel did it. And Peter did it. And Paul did it. And I have done it too. And I suggest you do it. So I left that meeting far more confused than when I went in, not knowing what to do. Shortly afterward, I was driving down the road and I was listening to a Christian radio station and a sermon came on the radio and it could have been the exact same uh, thing that my priest had just told me in that sermon. And I was like, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. I know what you want me to do. So I went home that night. I went home and I prayed right before I went to sleep. I said, Lord, if you want me to go somewhere, please, Lord, please tell me tonight in a dream. And I kid you not, I promise I'm not making this up. I dreamt that I walked with a black man, but he wasn't just any black guy. He had a real high forehead and he had a gap between his two front teeth and he was very dark complected and we walked under an intense sunlight in a field of burnt grass and I woke up immediately out of breath and said oh Lord you want me to go to Africa don't you those plans that I had had years before all came rushing back to me so I went back to my priest and I said, okay, here's what happened. And he gave me some very, very wise advice. He said, if this is of God, then doors will open. But if it's not of God, then you just had some dream. It's no big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. So we began to knock on doors and we began to write anybody we knew that had any connections in Africa to, to broach this idea. And let me tell you, the doors were slamming shut in my face so badly for three months, saying, you want to do what? That's the craziest idea I've ever heard. And after about three months, I did begin to think I was crazy and felt kind of silly for, for broaching this idea with people. And I put it down again. I put it down again. But about six months later, about six months later, I was reading my Bible one morning. It was Luke 9.23. Let's take up your cross and follow me. And it hit me so squarely between the eyes. I knew that the Lord was talking to me. And I knew it was time to get this mission going. And there was one last person in the Memphis area where we lived that uh, I had not spoken to about mission. And his name was Father Samson Gitau. Now, Gitau is a very Kenyan name. And you may ask, why in the world didn't I speak to him first? Well, Father Samson sat on a board in the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee called the Commission on Ministry. And the Commission on Ministry more or less uh, shepherded uh, uh, people, aspirants for ordination through the seminary process. And I knew if I ever mentioned this to a member of the Commission on Ministry that they would say to me, oh, well, you're interested in mission, not ordination. You don't need to be ordained. And you see, I hadn't let go of that ordination idea. I hadn't let go of it at all. But I finally said, okay, Lord, 
if you want me to be ordained. It's totally in your hands, and I'll forget about it and let, it, let you take charge instead of me taking charge. So I went to talk to Samson, and he said, you know, this is a pretty good idea. I kind of like it. I want you to put it on paper, and I'm going to send it to a friend of mine um, in Kenya. Well, that Kenyan friend was a bishop in the Anglican Church of Kenya. And uh, I guess about a month later, I get an email from the bishop. And he says, you know, I like your plan, and I'd like to invite you and your wife to come visit us uh, in Kenya and in the summer of, of 2004. And I thought, oh, this is great. And with that email, there was a Word document attached, which was a plan for agricultural development in his diocese. And I read through that plan, and I thought, oh, man, this is great. They must love my plan, because they've got about 90% of my plan in their plan. This is wonderful. Well, we get to Kenya, my wife and I do, and we just have a grand time, and we realize that this mission idea is possible. It's feasible. But what we also realized is when they wrote that plan, they had never heard of me. They had never heard of me. The bishop put those two plans side by side and said, the hand of God is in this process. You see, what they were lacking were the resources and the expertise to carry out the plan. What I was lacking was a place to carry out the plan. The bishop had the wisdom to see God working uh, between me and the people in his diocese. What we also came to realize is about the time they wrote that plan was the same time that I gave it up, gave up the idea of ordination to God. I gave it up completely to Him. And when I gave her over my will to Him completely, the doors began to swing open wildly. By January 2005, my family and I had moved to Kenya. And uh, we worked with farmers, indeed, in agricultural development. By through 2000, we were there through 2012. Through 2012, we had worked with over a thousand farmers. We are still continuing to operate. I have seven employees now, uh, both in uh, locations in central Kenya, western Kenya, and northern Uganda. We continue to work with farmers. We're working with about 300 farmers uh, currently, um, and the Lord has indeed blessed us blessed us with this mission. You know, it's funny though, after being there for about three years, I went and I talked to the bishop uh, because all these people kept telling me, both Kenyans and Americans alike, kept saying, you know, you really, you need to be ordained. You need to pursue ordination. We really think you're called. And I finally, I finally bowed to it and said, okay. You know, I'd already been through this once. I said, okay, I'll go do it. So I went to talk to the bishop and I went in and I told him why I was there. And he just got this big grin on his face. And he said, I've been waiting on you. <laughs> so I was indeed ordained. I went to seminary and was ordained in Kenya, uh, in the Anglican Church of Kenya. And just recently, uh, in the last year, uh, transferred my residency here to the United States so that I could uh, pastor a church in Arkansas. But you know, I, I hope that my story has indeed been a blessing to you been a blessing so that we could all 
enter through the narrow door and partake in the wedding feast before Jesus Christ. Amen. This week, the Holy Spirit will say something to you as you're listening. See, the Holy Spirit is the one that guides and directs ministry around the world. You heard it here, but that's also your story too, as God guides and directs you in the ministry he has for you. I'd like to invite you to stretch your hands, please. Stretch them out, and we're going to pray for Horace and for Anne. We're going to pray for the work that they're involved in. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you would send your spirit to lead your people. And thank you, Lord, that when we surrender to you, you say, now you're ready for me to direct you. Thank you for this wonderful story of planting faith. And we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would multiply their work in Kenya and Uganda. We pray that, Lord, many would be built up, Lord, that you would increase their prosperity, that the church might become strong, that the word of God might go forth in Eastern Africa. We pray, Father, that you would watch over Trinity in the fields. We pray, Father, that you would give the Tiptons all the wisdom and strength they need to do the ministry here at home as well. Thank you for the privilege of being part of this work around the world. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Our second speaker this morning is one of our very own. I think that you know, most people here know Jane. She's involved in a work called Haitian Homes for Haitian Children. And before I call her up, we have a special presentation about that work. I'd like you to take a minute to see what it is they're doing, and then we're going to invite Jane to come up. When a Haitian mother realizes she can no longer financially support all of her children, she often brings the oldest to an orphanage in hopes they'll receive food and education. Instead, the children often end up emotionally and physically neglected with no means to create a future. It is at this crucial moment, the point when a family is about to fall apart, that Haitian Homes for Haitian Children steps in. Haitian Homes for Haitian Children is a non-denominational, non-profit organization dedicated to the physical, educational, emotional, and spiritual care of Haitian children. Our goal is to provide more than just external charity. Instead, we work closely with local communities to create a Haitian-based cooperative designed to address the problem at its core. Rather than funding orphanages, we fund a child so they can stay with their family and go to school. Through the support of the family, we help raise the children to be healthy and happy. And through education, we offer them the chance to break the cycle of poverty. For $2 a day, you can sponsor a child at risk. This will pay for the child's tuition, uniform, school books, medical and dental insurance, as well as a $40 stipend per month for the family until high school graduation. Further donations go towards food, tutors, summer programs, and counseling services to address all the needs of our children. For the price of a bottle of soda, you can offer a Haitian child Together, we can create safer, 
healthier Haitian communities from the inside out by helping heal the body, mind, and spirit of those who live there. Oh, Americans, they would be almost perfect people except for one thing, if only they would listen. Those words were written by John Dorlus, Haitian professor of medicine. About five years ago, I was waiting for my airplane to arrive at the gate in Atlanta and be loaded for yet another trip to Haiti. And I didn't have my book open yet, so I took a good look around me. There were more white Americans' faces than black Haitian faces headed to Port-au-Prince, which is not an unusual thing. But because my book was not open, I began to think about it. I realized that I, like most of the other Blancs, which is what they call white people in Haiti, had their agendas well in hand. I had mine in triplicate and had gone over it with the president of the board of directors already. And I began to wonder, I who had made well over 30 trips to Haiti in the past 17 years, what do the Haitians really think of all of us Blancs and our American agendas and ideas about what is best for the Haitians? Haitians are the most agreeable of people and they are so appreciative. And whatever you suggest, they say it's a wonderful idea. And we would love to have you do that for us. It became very obvious to me that I needed to spend less time talking on this trip and more time listening. So that trip became a different sort of a trip for me, rather a journey instead of just a trip. And I think it became one of the most amazing trips yet. The program that Haitian Homes for Haitian Children had conceived and was ready to birth needed the input from those the program would touch, the Haitians themselves. So I spent several days just listening for most of a week. I listened to long-term missionaries, Haitian clergy, those who oversaw Haitian orphanages, Haitian educators, and most importantly, a daughter of Haiti who had lived through the orphanage system. Needless to say, there were some flaws in our well-meant American-conceived program. I talked to a young lady who had grown up in the orphanage, and she was a good student and had received a good education. So I asked her, Alliance, if you had it to do over, what would your choice be? You grew up in an orphanage where you received a good education. Your mother gave you up. She was not the best of mothers, and you would not have gotten the education you did. If you had it to do over, what would your choice have been? To grow up in that home and not receive the education, or to go to the orphanage and receive that good education? 
She looked me squarely in the eye and said, I would rather have grown up in my home. So at that point, I knew what we needed to do. The term orphan in Haiti means any child that is not living with his or her birth parents, a parent that is no longer able to provide economically for a child, may turn the child over to a relative, friend, orphanage, or even to abandon that child. About 80% of the children in orphanages have a living parent, most of whom have given them up, not because they don't love them, but for economic reasons. Often that child finishes elementary school and then the parent chooses to focus attention on a younger child because they've not gone to school yet. The older child is no longer able to attend school or may not even have food or bed in the home. That child has no future. Combining the ideas that I received from the Haitians that week and the wonderfully open attitudes of our board of directors, we, we reworked our program into a new and effective way to be proactive and keep Haitian families together. We work within the communities with schools and churches to identify families and children who are reaching crisis mode. That is the point at which we step in. With our sponsors' gifts, we give families a stipend that helps relieve the economic pressure of the family. We pay for the school-related expenses for the child and also the health care of that child. The family has been kept intact. A child has been saved from a life of poverty and meaninglessness. Haiti has gained a citizen with critical thinking skills who will be a valuable part of the country's success. Several years ago, when I was still doing medical clinics, working as a pharmacist in Haiti, I encountered an 11-year-old boy whose story still haunts me. We were riding in a truck across the town, and a boy was running behind the truck the entire distance. When we finally stopped, he was so winded from running and crying that he could not talk for several minutes. Then his story poured out. Eric's parents had both died, and he was left in the care of an older sister. She had no resources to take care of him, and she beat him regularly, trying to get him to go away. He tried to find someone to take him in, but no one wanted him. The person who ran the clinics, who I was with, also had an orphanage, and he begged her to take him to live at the orphanage. I was immediately filled with hope for him, but she told him he couldn't go to the orphanage. It held many younger children, impressionable and sheltered. At 11 years old, Eric had lived on the streets already. He had seen everything in life, sexually and otherwise. She could not expose those older, vulnerable children to him. That was a real point of reality for me. For a few years, I gave money to a Haitian man whom I trusted to pay for Eric to go to school. And once in a while, when I'd go to Haiti, I'd see him on the streets. 
He'd learned enough English to work as an interpreter occasionally. Once in a while, I still see him. Haitian homes for Haitian children exist for the Erics in Haiti. Our program of child sponsorship began with seven children five years ago, and we now have 50 children. We're non-denominational and send the children to seven different Christian schools. Why are they Christian? Why are they private schools? Because the, uh, the government-sponsored schools often don't pay their teachers. They go on strike. The teachers aren't qualified. We send them to Christian schools. We find sponsors who are people just like you for each child. Sometimes a prayer group or a Sunday school class sponsors a child. I have a couple of widows that go together to sponsor a child. The sponsor's money is spent entirely on the child. Education in Haiti is not free. Holy Cross has supported this ministry from almost the very beginning of our efforts. Some of your members sponsor children. Some of your mission money that you give and your tithes goes to us. Even more of your support to us is in much-needed prayer. Three of our children have lost parents in the last 18 months. One of them lost her mother to AIDS, and it went to her brain. She burned down the house with her children's clothing and school supplies in it. We need constant prayer for that girl to overcome her depression. Our children live in shacks with leaking roofs. Some only eat one meal a day, even with a stipend the family receives. But these parents choose education before anything else. These parents know that education is the only way their children will overcome the lives that they live. We are so grateful for all of you at Holy Cross, for the financial help you give us, and for your diligent and faithful prayer. God bless you all, and thank you. We began this service talking about the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what we talked about here, wasn't it? Please stretch out your hands and let's pray. Father, thank you for Jane and thank you for Haitian homes for Haitian children. Lord, we pray that you would multiply their work. Lord, give them every grace. Put them in contact with people who are both diligent and honest. Put them in contact with those who have need but are willing to sacrifice for the sake of love and their families. Father, give Jane energy and strength. Give her all that she needs to continue this work. Send your powerful Holy Spirit upon all who are involved in it. Lord, we offer up this work to you with our thanksgiving for all that you have done for us and say, Lord, bless this work and bless these children. We pray it in your name. Amen.